0: If you had the chance to ask one question, what would it be? And we've put together a little series of answers. My neighbor, I gave him an invite card this week, and he, he smiled at me and said, Christians don't know how to count, do they? There's four questions on this card. Uh, well, he was right, yes. Yeah. So, but the, these were the, sort of the top four more common questions, and we're kind of working uh, through them. And today we're thinking about what's the point of life. It's the big one, isn't it? Let's have a little look at this video. under a minute, isn't it brutal? What is the point of life? Now this morning, what I want to do is to uh, focus in on one biblical book, the book of Ecclesiastes that we was read to us earlier, and, and through that lens, examine this question. Uh, what is the point of life? To, to see how this book wrestles with it, the answer it gives, and then to look at how Jesus' fills out and expands that answer because there is an answer to that question what's the point of life so please open your bibles again to the book of ecclesiastes that's on page 670 in the church bibles page 670 the book of ecclesiastes begins and ends with a great po- with two great poems and uh, the opening big question in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 3 is this what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the Sun what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the Sun the word toil happens 22 times in this letter it reminds us that the world of work is arduous it's painful it requires effort and struggle you have to overcome many frustrations and setbacks in the world of work. And what do we gain from this toil is the question. Gain is, this, is again used lots of times in this letter. It is a sort of hard headed business type word. What's the payoff? What's the benefit? You spend all this life working and laboring and what do you get to show for it? Well the teacher of Ecclesiastes wants to confront us with some rather tough facts. He says, there is no gain under the sun. And he illustrates this uh, through all the endless repetitions that we see in life. Uh, Verse 5, the sun. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises again. I mean, it looks every day as if the sun's making progress. But guess what? Tomorrow morning you wake up and it's back to where it started yesterday. The wind Verse 6, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes, ever turning on its course. High pressure, low pressure, but it never seems to stop. It never seems to arrive. It just keeps going round and round. The water, verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. And this endless pattern that we see as we observe the world, it seems to be the pattern in human life. Verse 8, you know, housework never seems to end. You, you mop the floor and dirty feet seem to quickly rush in after it. The, uh, the, the washing basket never seems to empty of dirty clothes. The weeds never stop growing. Human life is wearisome and insatiable. Verse 8, all things are wearisome, he says, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear it's fill of hearing. We're always looking for more funny videos about cats on YouTube We're forever looking into the future uh, and thinking that some change will make all the difference in the world. When I get that promotion, when I get that degree, when I get to go out with that person, when I end the relationship with that person, when we move house, then we'll be satisfied, then we'll be complete. But guess what? It makes no difference at all. You arrive at that destination and you don't feel any, any more fulfilled. It's amazing to me in 2018 that the Rolling Stones are still touring and Michael Jackson is, uh, Michael, uh, Mike J- Mick Jagger is still singing, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. He's still singing it. It's amazing he can move those hips really, isn't it? There is no gain. There's nothing new under the sun for all this busyness and toil. Verse 9, what has been will be again. Uh, what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, "Look, there is something new"? Oh, it's already was here long ago. It was here before our time. Read in the paper this week about how in Kent they have discovered uh, an incredible Roman building that's probably about the, was the size of Buckingham Palace. You think, "Oh, look at this Buckingham Palace! Isn't that amazing?" It, it was here before. Apparently it takes about the same time to travel across London as it did when we had horses and carts. Uh, it, it was, it, there was a time in Edinburgh when we had trams in the 1950s and people said, no, this is not progressive, this is not cool. The cool cities get rid of trams and we'll have buses. And so we had buses. And then people decided, oh, the really progressive and cool ways to have trams. And for a mere 776 million, we put the, the rails back in the road. There's nothing new. It's been here before. No gain, nothing new, no remembrance. Verse 11. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Here's a harsh truth. We die and the world moves on. I don't know whether you, I think as I get older, I start looking at the obituary columns more. And you only make it into the obituary column if you're someone famous, if you're someone important. And what strikes me every time I read them is that most of the people there, I haven't got a clue who they are. And they're the famous ones. And do you know what? Tomorrow, I won't even remember their names. I mean, you probably know the names of your grandparents, but do you know the names of your grandparents' parents? Do you know how many brothers and sisters that they had? You probably don't. And they're your blooming family. No. Quite sobering, Ecclesiastes shoves it in our face. What do people gain from all this busyness, this toil, this labor under the sun? Ecclesiastes says, no gain, nothing new, no remembrance. And that's why throughout this book you have this refrain, verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The word meaningless has this sense of um, a vapor. Life's like a spray can. You spray this mist and you see it, but you know in a moment it's gone. It's vanished. How quickly it is. Disappears and fleeting and you don't notice it was there ever again. And so, what's the point? We'll look to the final poem of the book because he begins to get something of an answer. The final poem, if you look at chapter twelve, it is an amazing poem about life in old age. It's as you realise, it's a description of old age. It's a bit cruel, as you describe. It describes your future really. Your legs get a bit shuggly, your teeth get worn down, your hearing goes, your hair goes white. You start limping around, and then your body returns to the dust. Now this could be a very discouraging and depressing poem, couldn't it? But here's the point of this poem. When something is very scarce, it means it's very valuable and precious. And life is described here in chapter 12 verse six as a silver cord as a golden bowl. And this is a poem directed to young people, urging them to make the most of their lives because it is so short, and therefore it is so precious, it must not be wasted. And what is it that transforms our understanding of this short life that can be so full of wearying toil? Well, it's right there at the very beginning of this poem, uh, 12 verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the day of trouble come and even in those days when you're experiencing those troubles of old age verse 6 remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken whether you're a young person here or a person who's not so young remember your creator And it is this fundamental answer that the Bible gives to this question, what's the point of life? The the answer is, is one that only starts making sense when we realize that we are created people. We were created by a purposeful creator. Now, without this, there is no objective purpose to life. There are some people out there who hold to the extraordinary a belief that um, there's no God. And they have this incredible, fantastic thought that everything in the whole universe sprung out of nothing for no reason whatsoever. Now, I find that too hard to believe myself, but some people choose to believe that. And the point is, if that's how you see the world, then what point does life have? It has no point it has no purpose it is utterly meaningless as Richard Dawkins puts it in this quote that I mentioned last week the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design no purpose no evil and no good nothing but blind pitiless indifference Well, there's the cold logic of atheism. You're looking for meaning in life? There's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. But do you know what the Bible says to Richard Dawkins? You're wrong, mate. Remember your creator. And in the same way that we don't make complex things like iPhones for no purpose, then do you know what? The creator God made us. a purpose and I want to tell you today uh, if you've not heard this before your life is not an accident you have been intentionally made by a loving Creator God there is a definite purpose and point to your life now come back with me to Genesis chapter 1 because this is where the writer gets this idea very Beginning of our Bibles, Genesis chapter one. Uh, ironically, it's on page three of these, bu- of these books. But uh, the very beginning of the Bible, page three. And uh, if we look at uh, verse 26, and to see this creation mandate that God gave mankind. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Right from the very first chapter of the Bible, we learn so many profound things that will help us to understand the point and purpose of life. Uh, We learn that before anything was created, there was God. And there are strong indications from chapter 1 that this God is a complex unity. There is a God who speaks. There is the word of God that creates. And there is the spirit that is hovering over the deep. And when God speaks, he says in the plural, let us make mankind in our image. It's fascinating. God creates mankind in his image. And in the same way that God is a complex unity, he makes mankind in a complex unity. He makes us male and female to become one Uh, you know so many things that we're getting confused about today are addressed when we understand that we have a creator god who made us you see our gender is a good gift given to us by god your gender is not about how you feel but how you were created and the reason for it is that so a man and a woman can have children and you know what you can only make kids with a man and a woman and they are called to 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 uh, multiply to have babies and to obey this mandate of god to rule over god's creation and so the farmer and the banker and the policeman and the and the checkout woman at the Tesco's and the dentist and the teacher and the house builder and we can go on listing all these jobs can go about their work playing their part ruling over the world to God's glory being image bearers of God there's a profound dignity in engaging in the work in this world in the way that God has made it but why as Ecclesiastes says to us, why does it feel so futile? Why is it fr- so frustrating? Why is it that we're never satisfied in it? Because the Bible tells us uh, that Adam chose to turn away from God, and he turned in on himself and plunged the world into death and the curse. This is the world that Ecclesiastes is describing, a world where work is hard, where there are thistles and thorns, a world of seeming endless futility that ends in death. And that's the world we live in, isn't it? It was made by a good God, and yet now it is full of selfishness and futility because we are disconnected from God, the Bible says. That's why so many people are going through life now, not knowing what life is about. They've cut themselves off from God. They don't want to think about God. And so they're on this spaceship hurtling through the universe. And they don't know why they're here. They don't know what it's about. And they don't know where they're going because we're disconnected from this God. Now what we learn from Jesus just fills this out and makes it even more wonderful and clear about what God has done to give us purpose and point in this world. What we learn from Jesus is that God the Creator is three persons united in love. Turn with me to John's Gospel. This is such a a stunning thing, and you'll find this on um, John chapter 17. You'll find this on page 1,085. 1,085. The night before Jesus died, he prayed a prayer that was overheard by his disciples and it was written down and we've got it recorded here in John's Gospel. And just look at this one verse in verse 24. Jesus praying, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Now that's so stunning. Let me read it again. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Look at what Jesus reveals about God. Before the universe, there was love. Before there was a universe, there was a Father always loving Jesus, the eternal Son of God. And as Genesis 1 speaks of the Spirit hovering over the deep, um, the Bible pictures at times the Spirit like a dove. And there's Jesus. He's standing in the River Jordan at the beginning of his ministry. And the Spirit comes and descends upon him like a dove. And the voice from heaven, the Father, says, This is my Son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And this is what Jesus reveals about God. God, uh, God uh, who speaks his love of his Son and the Spirit who expresses that love, Father, Son, and Spirit, in eternal loving communion. Before the creation of the world, there was love. Love. You love me before the creation, Jesus says. And out of that love, the world was created. Everything was created. And so do you know what? The meaning of life is to be loved. To be loved in this family of love. To be loved by this God. That's what Jesus prayed The night before he died, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me. See, the goal of life is to be where Jesus is, right now in glory, sharing in the love of the Father. Here's the story of the Bible. While Adam turned away from God, Jesus came as the second Adam. He came down from heaven in order to meet us in this cursed and dying world, to put it right. And where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds. He, he lived the perfect life of love. And then on the cross, he died the cursed death that we deserve, taking responsibility for Adam's failures and for your failures and for my failure. And three days later, he rose again To a new kind of life beyond death and judgment, and invites us into this new life and into his family. And so, as I finish here this morning, can you see how coming to trust Jesus enables us to know what life is about and to have hope and meaning in our lives, just as Mark expressed earlier that he's found in his life? All of us are are, are born selfish, we're born dying. And we're born without this vital connection to God. And and in biblical terms, we are all in Adam. But Jesus offers us new life. If we trust in Jesus, we become one with him. We we can give him our selfishness and, and our sin, and he deals with it on the cross. And he gives us himself forever. Connected to him, we enter into this family of God. Now, together with Jesus, we know his Father is our Father, his Spirit is our Spirit, his future is our future. And Jesus will come again, the Bible says, and raise up this world the way that he was raised to eternal life and peace. And on that day, God will judge the world, the, confirming the no to Adam and the yes to Jesus. That's what life is about according to Jesus. You can read on the New Testament and fill out the riches and the fullness of what this life looks like in Jesus, but one of my favorite verses is this, from Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What I want you to know today, if you're new to these things, is that You were created by a loving, purposeful God. He loves you. And life has a point and a meaning when you realize that you need to turn away from that disconnected, selfish life that has ignored God and come to this Jesus and, and, and trust him and all the mess of the past will be forgiven and he will give you himself, he'll give you new life. And then there is purpose and point and hope and power for a new way of living. We're restored and renewed to fulfill that creation mandate that we read earlier from Genesis chapter 1 of ruling over his creation being his image bearers, bringing glory to God in his world, so we engage in the world of work. But he's also given us the new creation mandate, that we have the joyful good news to proclaim to a lost world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you don't know this life, will you come to Jesus today? You know, you can come to him right this very morning to have life. Now, you may have questions, and this Glad You Asked course would be a great way to explore them. But maybe, you know, you don't have to go to a course. You can actually have Christ right now. I'm going to finish with a a prayer. You could pray if you want to become part of this family of God and enter into this new relationship with God through Christ. If we can just put the prayer up, just so you can see it. It's basically saying, sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry that I've rejected your love and lived for myself. I don't want to live that way anymore. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that He lived the life I should live and died the death I should die. Thank you that he rose again and offers me new life. Please forgive me and change me to live with Jesus all my days. Now if you want to make that prayer your prayer today, and if you, if you don't know Christ, I would say to you, come to him today. I meet so many people who are confused about life. They don't know what it's about. And it's Christ to him today and all you need to do is simply turn to him in prayer and maybe there are a number of people here this morning and you know that that's what you need to do so let's bow our heads and i'm just going to pray that prayer again slowly and let you echo it in your own heart and minds